Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Tuesday, December 14th, we're recording a little before 9 a.m. You know, this is the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for joining us. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. On Friday, we really tried to keep things positive. We talked about Zach Wilson's development, the incredible return the Jets are getting on the Jamal Adams trade. Heck, I even picked the Jets to cover plus five and a half versus the Saints. I think you can throw all the positivity out the window going into this episode, though. Connor, positive Cono probably gone. But that said, we started this show before 9 a.m. today, which is maybe unprecedented for us. And you made it. Congratulations. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I mean, I am. I will admit that I am. I am dragging. Uh, I'm not uh, not firing on all cylinders yet. I'm only a couple sips into the coffee. But my hope is that by the time this, uh, my hope is that by the time the back nine starts, we're uh, we're good to go and and we're we're starting to uh, to really start firing. Maybe we should save Zach Wilson for the second half of the pod then. Honestly, no. I mean, I have no rants left about that. I mean, there's nothing. Like, we can talk. But there's a story that's actually about to run in a couple minutes here on the Athletic. Allison's editing it now uh, about Zach Wilson's accuracy. You know, I called uh, Dan Orlovsky yesterday, and and who, in my opinion, is um, bar none the best quarterback analyst in in the market today. I mean, obviously, you've got guys that that can break down the position like Boomer can do it, Phil Sims can do it. Um, Tony Romo obviously can do it, but those guys don't really go as detailed and don't have as uh, unique of a way of describing what's going on like Orlovsky. And that's kind of what he, what he came to fame, you know, when he basically did Baldy's breakdowns for the quarterback position on Twitter. And, and now he's everywhere on ESPN and he's a great guy, better person. And uh, he's always a, a text away and, and really is good about looking at what's wrong, assessing what's wrong and how to make it better. And, and, um, he, he was, he was awesome on Zach and that story is going to be up on the athletic shortly. So when we get to our little Zach rant and stuff like that, I can talk a, a little bit more about that. Well, let's start with Zach Wilson, uh, 19 of 42, 202 yards, the quarterback rating 59.8. And that, those numbers were with some dink and dunks late in the game. It was, it was worse before that. This is coming off an Eagles game where it was a step in the right direction, right? We talked about the footwork was good. It was his best game as a Jet, 22 of 38, had a couple of touchdown passes. Um, and then the step the other direction against the Saints defense, um, you mentioned Orlovsky. I think I think he used the word atrocious to describe him in some way. The, the accuracy is interesting too, though, and we should get into that because like to me, it almost feels like the yips. Um, and the yips are... Something you use in golf, right? It's a golf term. But yeah, you and I had sports. him on, on JJ uh, Dostromsky's tournament. We were texting about <laughs> I, that the other day. I have him we every time yips. I play. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but you think about baseball, right? In New York, even Chuck Knobloch with the Yankees couldn't throw to first base. Mackie Sasser, the catcher for the Mets, couldn't throw back to the pitcher. And right now, Zach Wilson has a problem throwing these short little passes. For whatever reason, there was the one on Sunday that stood out was just the like bounced it halfway to the running back. I mean, it's it's something that wasn't part of his game coming here, right, Connor? So it's got to be, to me, it's got to be a mental hurdle that he's got to get over right now. Yeah, I think that's what that's what was most alarming to me watching this continue. You know, and and against the Eagles, I thought that maybe they. Um, sorry, I'm leaning back today, and like the 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 get positioning of the camera is still not totally perfect. Um, but. You know, when I watched, I when I watched the the Eagles game, what I thought was kind of moving in the right direction was the accuracy, was the moving within the offense. I mean, that first half was as good of quarterbacking as I think we've seen Zach Wilson play throughout the year. And I was like, okay, we'll build on that. And when Elijah Moore landed on the injured reserve, when Corey Davis landed on the injured reserve, you knew that it was going to be tougher sledding for Zach Wilson. But 
what happened against the Saints was not a direct result of not having Davis and Moore out there. I mean, this was a guy that just is, as you said, Timmy, he's wildly and erratically missing these throws. The bounce to Berrios, bad, obviously. The bounce to Crowder, bad, obviously. The miss to Berrios on the deep seam crosser, bad, obviously. But the the even you can go back to the it would have been called back because Denzel Mims had the uh the the hands to the face but Jamison Crowder's open on a wheel route up the right sideline and Zach Wilson's pass hangs in the air Crowder has to come back for it and it's broken up and it's not a touchdown that should have been a pitch and catch walk in easy touchdown reminiscent of the one the Jets scored against the the Miami Dolphins a couple years ago and um I think what is so weird to me is that I've seen inaccurate passers before, right? But it was always, and I've seen quarterbacks miss like this before. I know uh, Jet fans are probably going to shudder when I when I put this name in the same uh, in the same sentence as Zach. But the last quarterback I remember missing passes like this, missing easy throws, easy throws like this, was Christian Hackenberg. And with Christian Hackenberg, it was one of those things where it was a trip because. You never knew what he was going to hit. Like, he'd hit you with that amazing, ridiculous throw, but then the little five-yard curl or the eight-yard out, or there was just, there was never, accuracy was always Hackenberg's biggest problem. But the difference between Hackenberg and and Wilson and what does not make sense to me and what I can't grasp my head around is that when Hackenberg was coming out of Penn State, you knew he had accuracy problems, Right. When a quarterback like Josh Allen was coming out of Wyoming, you knew he had accuracy problems. You knew those guys were going to have to learn. You knew those guys were going to have to improve their footwork and mechanics and all that to get better. I checked in with people on this. Zach Wilson, when he was coming out of BYU, had no concerns with accuracy. Zach Wilson, when he was coming out of BYU, there were no worries or concerns about this, right? Like... Den's like uh uh Zach Wilson was considered, and again I checked in with this. Zach Wilson was considered the most accurate passer, the most accurate thrower of the football in the 2021 NFL draft. Like that's what he did well. He hit the short throws, he hit the intermediate throws, he had the deep throws. Where he needed to learn was footwork needed to improve. He needed to get acclimated and adjusted to the speed in the NFL. That's what he needed to improve on and get better at. But the actual throwing of the football, that didn't figure to ever be an issue. So what the hell has happened? Because it's week 14 now, and the guy's bouncing these passes and missing these passes. Even if you go back and you watch the film, if you go back and you watch the All-22 and you watch the replay, you don't even have to watch the All-22. You can just watch the replay of that Jets-Saints game. Even the passes that Zach Wilson was connecting on, even those throws just looked wildly, wildly um, erratic. Like it just looked, it looked painful. You know what I mean? And and that's not supposed to be the case. And I think it really is. T- I mean, the the number. I'll, I'll rattle off the numbers because they are like ridiculous. And this is this is coming from the story that, that that's about to run in the athletic. So Wilson's ac- Wilson's accuracy deterioration has been among the more alarming aspects. Right? That's what we said. He's completed 160 of 285 pass attempts through nine starts. That's a completion percentage of 56.1, which is last among quarterbacks who have dropped back at least 289 times. Wilson has completed better than 60% of his passes and games just twice this season. That's excluding the Patriots game where he was six of 10 because he got hurt in the second half or second quarter. I'm sorry. Wilson has completed less than 55% of his passes three times. That was against the Carolina game, Denver, New Orleans. This New Orleans game, like you said, 19 of 42 for 202 yards. That's a 45.24 completion percentage. I've covered poor quarterback play before, right? I mean, I watched Bryce Petty start seven <laughs> games. For the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've watched Bryce Petty start seven games for the Jets. Bryce Petty completed less than 45% of his passes once in those seven starts, and it was 44%. Zach Wilson... He had a 39.4 completion percentage against the Saints. A 39.4 completion percentage against the Saints before he completed four underneath routes on the game's final possession with the Saints and prevent defense just trying to keep the Jets out of the end zone. So it's like that it's bad. It's it and that's not Elijah not because Elijah Moore's not there, that's not because Corey Davis isn't there. That's bad. 
And everyone's going to point to this too, right? Like that, 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 you know, he's dealing with drops, that the Jets have all these drops. Pro Football Focus has credited the Jets with Zach Wilson on the field with 23 drop passes. And undeniably, that plays a role in the completion percentage. But Pro Football Focus has a metric for that, where they have the adjusted completion percentage. And that factors in on-target passes that were not complete, whether it was, you know, the guy didn't pick his head up or it should have been caught and he dropped the pass, things like that. If you factor in his pro his PFF adjusted completion percentage, it's still just a 68.8. The Bears' Justin Fields is the only player with a lower adjusted completion percentage. Then you look into just the number of passes, like we're talking about how he's just wildly missing guys, bouncing them. The average, the league average for off-target passes per ESPN stats and information is 15.8. Wilson's off-target pass completion percent or off-target percentage, I'm sorry, is 25.1. That is undeniably the worst in the NFL. Like that to me is just, it's mind-blowing because again, accuracy was not the thing that any of us were worried about with Wilson coming out of the draft. We were not worried about his ability to throw passes. It was reading a defense, sure. Forcing the ball, sure. Holding the ball a little too long, sure. But this, this is alarmingly alarming because it wasn't supposed to be a problem. Yet, like you said, it's almost like he has the yips. And and I talked to people, you know, that, that I was kind of, like I said, that were, you know, was this a problem coming in? Did I just happen to miss that he had accuracy problems. They said, no, I went back to him and I looked at the 17 Zach Wilson related stories that I wrote during OTA's mini camp and training camp, right? I looked at all, all 17 of them. There was an accuracy reference once, and it was after the green and white scrimmage. And it was that he missed throws. He should have made. That was the only time all summer. And I was scraping the bottom of the barrel to try and to try to find observations on this kid during the summer. The only time I wrote anything on an accuracy problem was was after the green and white scrimmage. And that was not for negligence. That was not for ineptitude. That was because there wasn't an accuracy problem during OTA's minicamp or training camp. Suddenly in the regular season, it came. It arrived out of nowhere. Like, like it got like it, it arrived out of nowhere in training camp. And it's like, what the hell has happened? The Jets don't really know why. Zach Wilson clearly doesn't know why. And it's a massive problem, which is why I reached out to Dan Orlovsky and was like, hey, man, can you tell me why? Like, can you tell me why that this is happening? Did he ever have anything like that in his career? I wonder. A guy like Dan Orlovsky. Or is this something, I guess the question is, is this something that quarterbacks, not all quarterbacks, but some quarterbacks just go through and we don't necessarily talk about it much if they're veterans or anything like that. And, and it's just a short lived thing. Is this something understood or is it something where even a guy like Dan Orlovsky is like, I don't know what's going on. No. So, I mean, I, I asked Dan, that was one of the things I asked. I was like, is this pretty common in the NFL? And the one thing where I was like, Oh, was he goes, uh, not necessarily. He goes, usually if you're, if you're, if accuracy is good, accuracy is good. He goes, accuracy can always get better, but it's, it's not necessarily like common. He goes, there were though, there are examples of it. He goes, Baker Mayfield was one. Like he was <laughs> Baker Mayfield, you know, guys, I know I feel about him, but he said, Baker Mayfield is one where he was insanely accurate in, in college, like insanely accurate in college, got to the NFL and the accuracy dropped pretty substantially. You know what I mean? So that was a quarterback that he referenced of a guy that, you know, dealt with it and he's still trying to try still trying to find a way to bounce back and things like that. But I did pick his brain. Cause I was like, can you just talk about like, cause again, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense how you can go from being the most accurate passer in the draft to now where Zach Wilson is. And, and it's, and it's confusing. And what Orlovsky said he's seen is it's a combination of different things. He goes without a doubt, he's in his own head. Like that was something Orlovsky said was that there is no doubt in his mind that Zach Wilson is in his own head. That that is that is playing the biggest role, and and he said that basically there are times when the the quote he gave me was he's in his own head, and you can tell he's trying to be too Aaron Rodgers ish, and the one throw, and he gave me a couple examples of this. He said, you know, there's one throw where against the the Atlanta Falcons when the Jets played them, the interception that he threw to Corey Davis on that like sideline out route, he said, or Keelan Cole, yeah, Keelan Cole, I'm sorry, not Corey Davis, Keelan Cole. And Orlovsky said, like, when you watch that film, and I wouldn't have been able to pick this up, he said, he goes, you can tell that he's trying to basically play, quote, quarterback 601, and by doing so, he's forgetting about quarterback 101, unquote, which I thought was a great a great one. Yeah. He goes, because you can see he's trying to rhythmically time the 
hitching of his shoulders, the turning of his body, the rotating of his head, the rotating of his eyes, and the rotating of his arm all at once. And he's trying to do that to take the cornerback and put the cornerback out of position to then also in the same motion hitch and do all of those things to then get his body in a position where he can throw to Corey Davis and hit Corey Davis and get him open. In try, he, like what Orlovsky said is that that's stuff that Aaron Rodgers can do. That's stuff that Pat Mahomes can do. That's not something that a rookie quarterback should be doing. What a rookie quarterback should be doing in that position is see the open player, hitch to the open player, throw to the open player. You can't be trying to contort your body in all these different ways because when you do, it's going to get you off. It's going to get you. It's going to get you in a weird, awkward position and put you in a bad position to throw the ball. And that's exactly what happened because the pass went five yards behind Keelan Cole and was intercepted. There's another time where he, you said he, uh, Orlovsky said you can kind of see he's just overthinking and guiding the ball and overthinking in a way of of not necessarily trying to do too much like like the um, like uh, the example that I just gave. That's one example of overthinking. The other example, and it's a completely different type of overthinking, is where Orlovsky said he's trying to just guide the ball. And he compared it to like Saved by the Bell Zach Morris, where it's like it's the timeout drill, where it's like he wants to drop back, say, everyone timeout, and then take the ball and run it to exactly where it's supposed to be, put it in the receiver's hands, then go back to the line of scrimmage and say, okay, go. Like that's what he's trying to do. And that's why you're seeing when he's trying to like, like literally split hairs and place the ball. When you're trying to do that, that's when you lead to the bounced passes and the skipped passes and the sailed passes and even the passes that are complete that are behind the guy or when he makes guys have to work. And he said that placing the ball isn't an issue. Like it's not a it's not something that shouldn't be on a quarterback's mind because the Patriots are the ones who teach the aim small, miss small. But he said aim small, miss small is something you do in individual drills. He said aim small, miss small is something you do in like seven on seven drills when you're practicing to develop muscle memory. Once the game starts, you can't be thinking aim small, miss small. It doesn't work, Orlovsky said, in action-type drills. Like, it doesn't. Like, it does not work in in live-action stuff. You, at that point, you have to let muscle memory take over. You know, the, when, when you're talking about a kid who's playing quarterback in the NFL, this is a guy who basically picked up the football when he was three years old and it looked normal. And he just has an uncanny natural ability to throw the football. You can always get better. Your footwork can always get better. Your throwing motion can always get better. But you have to be able to just... You have to be in a position where you can throw the football and just naturally let the throwing of the football take over. Trying to place it, trying to be perfect, that's not going to work. And Orlovsky felt that that's one of the reasons why he's doing it. Partial is probably pressure. He sees his completion percentage low. He wants to be more successful, he feels. And he's trying to, he's just overthinking, thinking too much, and it's leading to that. But then he also said there's like a complete 180 that Zach Wilson tends to do because there's other times where you can tell he's not thinking at all and he's like just throw the ball and he's sending 100-mile-per-hour fastballs to guys three yards away. So basically right now what Wilson's dealing with is a mishmash of quarterbacking no-nos. And it's leading to this consistent week-in and week-out problem with the one area of his game that was supposed to be a strength. And like you said, Tim, what I just said is a long-winded way of basically saying the guy's got the gips. Like, yeah. that's what this is. And he's got to work out of it. And, and Orlovsky said that, too. He goes, it's basically like a shooter that's in an extended slump in basketball. And eventually, for you to get out of that slump, you need to see a couple drop. You need to see a couple go in before you can start hitting them consistently again. And why that hasn't happened, there's a bunch of different reasons. But what Orlovsky said the Jets are going to desperately need to do this offseason is they are going to need to settle on one quarterback coach like he said there's there's a number of things that's like, what i was gonna his, go to yeah. next yep yeah too many voices work exactly and what a lot is, is like look his footwork has to be better he has to stop overthinking he needs to get the basics down as far as see receiver you know see it what was it, it was see it or read it see it rip it or something like that like just get like don't think about like all the like the the keelan cole interception where you're trying to marry and 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 get rhythmically down all these timings just get the ball to the guy who's open and don't think about it don't think about perfectly placing the ball your body's going to do it naturally your arm's naturally going to do it you're that talented so just see him open throw the ball and it's going to go where it's supposed to go that's what makes quarterbacks special right is just get it there the reason why that that's part of it that's going to be worked out but the flip side of the coin, and, and one of the reasons why, you know, in, in Orlovsky's opinion, he's swimming because he feels like he's swimming and overthinking everything is just that there are too many voices in his head right now. And that 
if he wants to to if the Jets really want to get this kid back on track and righted and and positioned in the right way, they've got to eliminate some of those variables. Because if you think about it, when Zach was drafted, Greg Knapp was his was his quarterbacks coach. Then with Greg Knapp, you had Rob Calabrese. Greg Knapp tragically passes away, so you bring in Matt Cavanaugh. So Wilson goes from listening to mostly Greg Knapp and some of 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 uh, Calabrese to now it's Kavanaugh and Calabrese. Now, a couple weeks ago, they bring John Beck into the mix. So you now have John Beck, Rob Calabrese, and Kavanaugh all in his head. That's a lot of different voices pulling him in different ways. And, and Orlovsky said every situation he's basically been in, then there's been the offensive coordinator who handles the offense and the X's nose, and then you have the quarterback's coach. And the quarterback's coach directly works, and he's the one who hammers, and he's the one solid week-in and week-out voice in your head. Zach Wilson doesn't have that because he basically has three quarterbacks coaches. And we were joking at one point, you know, there were more quarterback coaches than quarterbacks on the roster. <laughs> like we were joking about that. And Orlovsky said, like, there's a lot of things that need to be fixed. A lot of things that need to go into this and, and make it all better and all. And, and there's there there there's a this is not one issue, but a lot of things can be solidified, he believes, by just having one settling on one specific voice. Maybe that's John Beck. Maybe it's Kavanaugh. Maybe it's Calabrese. So get one voice in that quarterback room as the guy who's generally rearing this quarterback. You know what he needs? You remember uh, Ted Lasso, uh, Roy, when Isaac McAdoo was all a mess on the team, the team captain. Yeah. Roy Kent took him back to his childhood field and yeah, just yeah. had him play and have fun. Yeah, it's a great I feel like Zach Wilson needs, needs Roy Kent in his life to uh, mm. take him back to the high school football field, let him get his butt kicked a little bit, play with the kids, and yeah. then it'll all be fine. We'll all be okay. fine. Yeah, and you're right because again, man, it's it's a great great reference, but it's like it's not this isn't Christian Hackenberg where we knew Christian Hackenberg was an inaccurate passer. This isn't Josh Allen where we knew Josh Allen was an inaccurate passer. The strength of Zach Wilson's game coming out of the NFL draft was accuracy. And just playing in the NFL is not going to cause that accuracy to just explode. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, he was just accurately throwing to guys at BYU. No, watch the throws he made at BYU. They're ridiculous. He's fitting him into tight windows. The the one throw, it's incomplete. It's a drop by a BYU receiver, but he's going on a deep route. Wilson just flings it and it drops right in his hands, like 65 yards down the field. It's an absurd pass. That's the things that he did week in and week out. He was such an accurate pass that just told me it was he was it, accuracy was the least of their concerns. But now not only is you know it was and they thought they were getting a ridiculously accurate passer who could make the specialty throws as well, and they just needed to help him get acclimated to the NFL game. Well, now the accuracy has deteriorated almost entirely, and he's not even making the the improvisational plays either. So it's like just a like I said, it's a mismatch of quarterbacking dysfunction right now, and they need to basically rebuild him because the things that he's doing, the overthinking, the 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 swimming and trying to do you know six oh one advanced stuff and not one oh one, it's hurting the offense and it's hurting Zach Wilson and it's hurting the Jets, and that's a problem. It really is. And it's not, I know people can say, oh, we didn't have Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. That's nothing to do with this man because there were receivers open against the Saints. It was always going to be more challenging. Like guys weren't going to be as open. You weren't going to have as much explosiveness. But Keelan Cole was still open. Braxton Berrios was still open. Jameis Crowder was still open. There were enough guys in the flat open. Even when they were open, Zach missed them. Sailing them high. And again, like I know people like, oh, they got their hands on it. He should have caught it. You're right. There's a drop from Keelan Cole where he's going across the middle of the field. But Zach hits him, and he's got a turn, and he's, like, trying to catch the ball like this. If Zach just hits him in front of him, and it's like he's six yards in front of him like this, it's not only a catch, but he's going to scamper into the end zone for a touchdown. So, like, these are things that even when he's completing passes or even when some of these guys are missing throws in their quote-unquote drops, like, you're a quarterback. You shouldn't have to make your receivers work inside 10 yards virtually every play. Those are supposed to be money on the money. Get it to a position. He catches the ball and he's running. Like how many times you see running, even like the Tevin Coleman pass that we were praising because Zach took took something off the ball last week again, or two weeks ago against the Texans. Oh no, last week against the Eagles. He's still twisting like this to catch the ball. That shouldn't be. It's got to be here. And so even the completions are off target. And that's that's very weird because it was not an issue. It wasn't. And the Jets have to figure out what mental gaff is in his head right now that is getting him to the point where he's not making these throws because they need to fix it and they need to turn it around because it's it's a little alarming. Now, I will, the last point on this is that I went back and looked. Sam Darnold, obviously, like was the last you know potential franchise quarterback right that the Jets had and, and the Jets wanted to see. 2018, 
he closed that year on a four-game stretch. But the Jets won just one of those games. But Sam threw for 931 yards, six touchdowns, one interception, and a quarterback rating of 99.1. Didn't matter that the Jets dunked that year. Didn't matter that the Jets won just one game in those final few. Sam Darnold's individual performance sent that team into the offseason on a high. Sam's completion percentage in his nine starts before those final four games was a 55.02. In his last four, 64.1. So... Sam ended the season, ended his rookie season on a really strong stretch that final month, and it completely changed. It seemingly completely changed the outlook of the Jets going into that offseason. Zach can do the same. He's got Dolphins, Jaguars, Bucks, Bills. He doesn't have to beat them all. Maybe he beats the Jaguars. That's the only game he wins. He goes one and three the rest of the way. But if he plays similar to what Sam did, moves the offense, keeps him competitive, avoids the turnover, gets the completion percentage up, makes some of those fancy plays that, that we've all come or we've all thought we would be seeing week in and week out. I think it completely changes the complexion of the Jets heading into the next year because right now it is very challenging to look at – it's a challenge, I should say, to look at Zach Wilson and say, what is the one thing he does exceptionally well? What's the one thing you can hang your hat on to say, you know what, we think he's a franchise quarterback because blank. We think that he's going to be our savior because blank. Because, Sam, you could pick a few things his rookie year. Every rookie quarterback that plays their first year, even Tua, you can pick a few things where you're like, you know what, he does this really, really well. He's got to work on things. He's not perfect, but he work, he, he needs to fix these things, but he does this really well. That gives us some hope. Other than blind faith, I don't know what that one thing is with Zach Wilson. I really don't. I, I don't see that one thing he does exceptionally well or really, really well. I thought it was going to be accuracy. I thought it was going to be playmaking ability. We've seen the improvisational playmaking twice, and it both came against the Titans, and we haven't really seen it since. So you can't hang your hat on that. Can't hang your hat on accuracy. Can't hang your hat on, on reading, pocket presence, any of that stuff. So hopefully over these last four games, we get something where you can head into the offseason, very similar to Sam Darnold that year, where you can say, okay, I think the Jets might have something. Hopefully we get to say that about Zach Wilson and we're saying it because of visual evidence other than just blind faith. It's the reason to watch this team over the last month of the season. That's for sure. One reason that was one thing that was tough to watch on Sunday was Denzel Mims. We'll talk about him when we come back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It has become pretty much impossible to defend Denzel Mims anymore, I think, Connor. You know, he wasn't getting the playing time. Maybe if he gets more time, he'll be... He'll show that flash. He'll show what he can do, even though he isn't a great fit for this offense. And then the mistakes he made on Sunday just make you shake your head. A drive killer, back-to-back penalties, and not like, you know, everyone gets penalties, but dumb penalties. Honestly, like, I I know people, I saw this in my mentions, like, oh my God, the can't wait Denzel Mims rant's going to be so excellent, and the can't wait Denzel Mims rant's going to be so legendary, and like, the can't wait Denzel Mims rant's going to be you know, uh, uh, one of the best ones that we've seen. There's no rant coming. There's no there's no spiking of the football. There, there's no screaming and yelling because at some point, it's so frustrating. Uh, the w- What a player is doing is so frustrating. Has, what, what else are you, what are you supposed to say? I mean, this is a kid that, and I'll video. I'm gonna videotape this on on Wednesday and Thursday. And I'll I'll send this out. I'll tweet it. So so may, like again, this isn't a, a Twitter plug, but like I'll I'll tweet it out so you guys can see. It's been very easy to observe over the last few weeks, few months, why this coaching staff, the offensive coaching staff, struggles with Denzel Mims, right? Because they want guys that are high energy, full effort, hundred miles per hour, right? They want guys that want it, you know. Corey Davis is a want-it guy. Elijah Moore is a want-it guy. Braxton Berries is a want-it guy. Jamison Crowder is a want-it guy. They're not a team, and they're never going to be a team. And Joe Douglas has talked about this when he's talking about talent acquisition and acquiring players, where they want guys that just skate by on their athleticism and just think, like, they're going to go out there and be gamers and they're going to be fine. They want they want the players that are going to put a full effort into everything that they do. The Jets and individual drills have, like, 
they do before practice starts, they go through just individual drills where the receivers like there's a ladder drill, right? So they run the ladder out and you're supposed to like, you know, tap your feet to the left of the ladder, tap your feet in the ladder, tap your feet out of the ladder. And they do different variations of that. Some sometimes it's one, two, three, sometimes it's one, two, one, two, one, two. Like they do all different kinds to like get loose and stuff like that. You watch Jameson Crowder go through it and it's like do 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 do. You watch, you know, Jeff Smith go through it. Do 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 do. Vincent Smith, do 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 do. Braxton Berrios is like do 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 do. Like Braxton Berrios is a freaking animal. <laughs> like he's crazy. You watch Denzel Mims go up and it's like do, do do, do, do do do. I mean, honestly, like I'm not going to shit. I'm not shitting you with this. You could take me and put me and tell me to go do the ladder drill, and I would look more electric than Denzel Mims does doing the ladder drill. Then the Jets set up the cones, right? And they set up like um, cones where there's like one here, one there, one there. And you're supposed to like get up to the cone and then kind of do the same like, you know, like da-da-da-da-da. And then go to the next cone and then da-da-da-da-da. And then go to the next cone and go da-da-da-da-da. Like, you know, like you're shaking the defender or something like that. You watch Braxton Berrios go and it's – you watch like Vince go and it's – you watch like uh, this uh, is an DJ audio Montgomery podcast go. just for Boom. audio listeners. Like Connor yeah, so is check currently. It out on well, that's why we had the the, 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 the Yeah, you need another sound effect. Well, now it's it's a woody woody woody. Like it's like that. It's like woody woody woody. Like that. Like it's like they're going through like you know like you have the like cones. Like you have the cones. You go to the cone. You're like you go next one. Like you do all that shit, right? Like it's it's like that's what they do. Woody woody woody. For our audio Connor is physically standing out of his chair demonstrating. I shouldn't have put the cone down. So yeah. then you watch Denzel go around the cone, right? And it's this. Denzel's like, they run up to the cone, and it goes like. Connor is slowly running to the cone and slowly <laughs> turning around. I will give the play-by-play for. Like, I'm know, telling you, stuff, Marissa, man. I swear to God, I'm going to tweet this, and you're going to see I'm not bullshitting you. Like, you're not I'm, not, I'm not bullshitting you. Like, that's what it looks like. It's just like, and it's like if, if you're Mike LaFleur, and you're like, if you are Mike LaFleur, and you're watching this and you're like, okay, we've told this kid, you got to seize your opportunity. We've told this kid, <laughs> we've told this kid, you've got to seize your opportunity. We've told this kid, you've got to uh, put the effort into it. You need to earn the right to play on the field. You need to earn your opportunities. And then when you get your opportunities, you need to seize them. And then you watch these individual drills and you see that going through the ladder, going through the cones all lackadaisically cavalier. Then you see him in, in, when you when the quarterbacks and receivers join together and they're running little digs and slants and curls and he's dropping passes. It's like, do something to warrant being on the field other than being drafted in the second round. Do something that shows us you want to be on the field. Do something that shows us you deserve to be on the field. Show us that. That's what the Jets have been begging him to do. And every week, it's exactly the same thing. So now the Jets receiving core gets ravaged by injuries, right? Corey Davis, Dunzo, Elijah Moore, Dunzo. They have no other choice but to start Denzel Mims. This isn't about rotating him in for 10 reps. This isn't about giving him a couple routes. Like this, this is now he has to start. This is his opportunity, right? This is Denzel Mims's opportunity to go on the field and show I was a second round pick. I can be a starter in this league. I deserve to be on the field for 30 and 40 snaps, not 10. Put me on the field. And what does he do? Aside from, and DJ Bienemy had this had this statistic. He told me about it after the game because he's got access to the next-gen stats. The average yard of separation for a receiver in the NFL is three. Denzel Mims' average yards of separation in his first start was 0.59. The would-be, should-have-been touchdown to Jamison Crowder was never going to be a touchdown because Denzel Mims hit a guy in the head. Hands to the face. 10 yards, back him up. The next play is wiped out. It wasn't even anything special, but the next play is wiped out because Denzel Mims didn't line upright. We're not talking about catching. We're not talking about route running. We're not talking about separation anymore with that. We're talking about you didn't line up right. An illegal formation in December. December. An illegal formation in December. 
as a receiver. And you know what's like where, where I, I find it very, very, very hard to see like Denzel really seeing a ton of playing time moving forward like these last four weeks? There was a walkthrough the Jets had. Because Denzel, he didn't do much, but I think he started or he played a chunk of the snaps. Like the, uh, somebody was down. Maybe it was when Davis was out or Cole was out or something like that. It was Denzel played a lot, of, a, a, a decent amount of the game. He didn't do anything, but he, he played a decent amount. The Saturday walkthrough that the Jets had before that game, Denzel lined up wrong three times. And I don't know if it was necessary. From my understanding, it wasn't like illegal formation lined up wrong. It's like, you know, you're supposed to be lined up like on the right side of the left hash. He's on the left side of the left hash. Or, you know, he's supposed to be at, you know, it's supposed to be like, this is Elijah Moore on the left. Then like four yards in is Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims was like three yards or six yards. Like, like it's like stupid, stupid stuff like that. And so the coaching staff was furious at him. Because like, here's your opportunity. Seize it. And you're not even lining up right in, in the walkthrough. You, you're not even checked in enough to walk to that's that's what we're doing here. And it's like just you you take that after his first start. Then suddenly he really gets his opportunity out and he's going to have it. He was going to have an opportunity the rest of these four weeks to show he can be a starter in the NFL. And completely again, we're talking about Zach Wilson changing the narrative the final four weeks. Denzel Mims could have changed the narrative beginning with this game. He's a starter now. He's outside. He's going to get a ton of reps because the Jets basically don't have anyone else. And instead, he creates no separation. Instead, he has a boneheaded penalty that could have taken a touchdown off the board. And after that, in December, midway through December, he couldn't line upright. That justified everything the coaches have done, which, which was making him the seventh guy off the bench in camp. It's why he only played five or ten snaps the rest of the season. You have a guy who is not doing anything during the individual drills and practice to show, put me on the field. And then when he is forced onto the field because the Jets have no other options, he shows exactly why he's not on the field to begin with. And it's like, what do you want to do with this? There's nothing to do with this at any. There's no. There's nothing to do anymore. There's no point. There's no. There's no point in any of the like the, the the Denzel Mims thing is over. And for my opinion, I play Vincent Smith and DJ Montgomery the rest of the way. I wouldn't even play him. And in the off season, I try to flip him for a conditional six or something like that. I mean, he clearly has checked out. The Jets are clearly not going to get what they want out of him. And it's honestly a pretty damn big shame. It's a pretty pretty big shame that they draft. I mean, this is this is like you want to know about the production. Like, oh, he's not playing enough. Blah blah blah. Yada yada yada. The playing enough excuses bullshit. Make plays when you're on the field. Denzel Mims was a player drafted in the second round last year. He's a second round draft pick at receiver for a team that needs receivers. And we are on, it is December 14th. He's played, I don't even know how many games at this point. I'm not doing the math at, at 9.30 in the morning. He doesn't have a single touchdown. He doesn't even have a touchdown yet. And it's like, okay, oh, he's not on the field enough? No, it's because when he's on the field, he doesn't do anything to deserve to, he was on the field, he doesn't make any impact at all. And when he's not on the field, he doesn't do anything to justify being there. And when he, when the Jets benched him for that first half, or they benched him after that first half, I'm sorry, and he played, I mean, I literally watched him because the second half starts and DJ Montgomery's out there. And it's like, well, that's different. I saw Denzel run onto the field for what would have been like one of his plays. And the coaching staff literally pulled him off. Like he went to go run on the field and the coaching staff pulled him off the field. That's where they were. They're like, he's not, a, no, he doesn't deserve to be on the field. We're not putting him on the field. Done. He doesn't deserve to be on the field. We're not putting him on the field. Takes him off the field. Right? When we talked to Sal after the game, he goes, you know, he was doing a really good job. You know, the effort was better. The the knowledge of the playbook was better. Things like that. Like, he's he was better. Like, he's been better. Right? After this, it's all the way back to square one. He's got to earn those reps again. It's going to be back to three or four reps a game until he shows he needs more. And there are four weeks to do it. And I find it very hard to believe that that – He's going to be on this roster next year. I find it very hard to believe because I think the Jets are going to end up drafting another guy. And then you're going to have, you know, they really like Keelan Cole. So you're going to have guys that are Braxton, probably somebody they're going to try to bring back and things like that. So uh, I, I find it hard to see Denzel on this roster, which is just, and we can talk about this on Friday because we're going to need content. I don't want to dip too much in it or yeah, whenever we do it. Yeah. Friday we can, I don't want to dip too much into future shows and, and grab that kind of stuff. Cause we are going to need things to talk about. Cause we're running, we're skimping the bottom of the barrel now. Um, <laughs> But the Denzel Mims pick is just another shot to the 2020 draft class for Joe Douglas, which just looks really, 
really bad right now. And I know the Connor, Jets, like, I've, I've gotten read, an argument. I want to read one of your tweets that I actually just found from April 24th, 2020. Jets five picks away. Here are the five wide receivers on the board. Denzel Mims and Van Jefferson both on there. And I think we all saw what Van Jefferson uh, could do last night. I actually didn't. I went to bed early and finished oh. watching. I went to bed. I watched. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. The Jets have broken me. I don't want to watch football. To be honest with you guys, I just, I'm done. I'm done with football. I'm really am. Like I said that when I, we showed up to the practice facility on Wednesday, I turned to Andy. I was like, man, I didn't want to go to work today. Like, this is like this is getting like. What do we talk to these players about? What do we talk to Sala about? Like it's it's getting. I'm positive, Cano, man. Sunshine Hughes. I'm trying to keep keep the keep the spirit up, but. I don't know if uh, I don't even know if this is this is beating me up some. Well, um, but both those guys were and and Chase Claypool was on the board in your tweet there. Of yeah, well, Clay they avoided Claypool's a hell yeah. of a player. That guy's a, a head case. Like he's a he, that guy's a well, diva. I wouldn't want him on my team. No, that bullshit he pulled with that first down spike in the yeah. ball and then like screaming at the lineman. That that lack of self awareness. Nah, I'm good on that one. That that one's one. Van Jefferson, yeah, especially because the Jets had Jefferson's uh, uh that. Yeah, they had Jefferson's dad on their coaching staff. Yeah, now he's on so the they had, like Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. But that that whole, I know I've I've gotten in arguments with people over in the Jets, like within their building about it, because I disagree. Like I I just I don't see the 2020 class. Like they they put their head on like they put their hat on like Bryce Hall, which yeah, he's a hell of a number two corner to find. Good job by Douglas finding him in the fifth round. Then they're like Bryce Huff, Javelin Gidry. I'm sorry, but finding a number two corner and a reserve corner and a situational pass rusher. Two of those guys being undrafted free agents and the other guy being a fifth-round pick. Like, yeah, that's good that you found those guys late, but that doesn't excuse just whiffing on your first few picks because Mekhi Becton right now, as much of a concern as anyone else. Denzel Mims looks awful. James Morgan isn't even on the team. Ashton Davis looks bad. Jabari Zuninga can't get on the field. P. Ryan can't get on the field. I mean, it took basically an illness ravaging the Jets. It took... It took Mike Carter's injury, Tevin Coleman getting a concussion, and Austin Waller getting sick for P. Ryan to even see five carries. So, I mean, I, like, it's it's rough. Like, it really – like, that first class is looking rough. And that's why we've said – and, we, and again, we'll, we'll go into de- de- in-depth with this on Friday. But these picks that the Jets have, this, like, chance to redirect the course of the franchise, these two top five picks – it only works if the Jets repeat their 2021 class. If they repeat 2020, Douglas is headed to the unemployment line. Yeah, 100%. The one thing I'll say about Mims, um, and maybe it's maybe it's happened because he's gotten frustrated with this team, but a guy that doesn't put in the effort in the individual drills like you're talking about, I got to believe that's how he was in college, right? Like that doesn't He just, just... went deep and Bailey he just at Bailey he just went deep. That was his thing. I know, but on the practice field, like that's stuff that when you're getting ready for the draft, right? You're well, researching these guys, you're doing your homework. What kind of a worker is this guy? Does he put in the effort? So I, I don't know. It seems like a miss. It's a good I, point. Maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did it in college, got to the NFL, got frustrated with the situation with the Jets, and now he's not doing it. But it seems like players that dog it on those in those drills always do it. I mean, hold on, I gotta, I gotta bring this up just to see. So in 2020, the Panthers had a need at receiver. The Carolina Panthers had a need at receiver. They had a ton of draft picks. Denzel Mims's college coach, the one who saw him every day at Baylor, was hired by the Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule, or 2000, yep. yeah, 2019. Matt Rule was hired, right? Yeah, or no, 2020. He was no, hired. 2020. Yeah, he was in the Jets coaching. Yeah, he went back to Baylor in 2019. I couldn't remember if, like, yeah, it got mixed up. Denzel Mims' college coach is at, in Carolina, with a team that needs receivers. Doesn't even sniff Mims in the draft. Like, that, like, to me, like, it goes back to the old, um, shit, his name's escaping me. Uh, he played for the Jets, too, because he had a man bun. Who was the backup for the, uh, Matt Flynn. Um, Matt Flynn was a free agent the year that Joe Philbin got the head coaching job with the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins were in desperate need for a quarterback. It was the year they ended up drafting Ryan Tannehill. Um, Joe Philbin, offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Joe Philbin, the guy who saw Matt Flynn every single day. Joe Philbin, the guy who oversaw Matt Flynn's explosive breakout performances where he didn't either throw for like six touchdowns on Monday, Monday Night Football or something like that. The Dolphins wanted no part of Matt Flynn in free agency, despite the fact Flynn's offensive coordinator was now the head coach. I remember like 
reading that and seeing that and being like, hmm, that's a little bit of a red flag in my opinion, right? Like, that's weird. Like, if you see him every day, wouldn't you want to like, okay, this guy can play, I want him. And then you just don't, like, that's weird. Matt Rule needs receivers at Baylor. Needs their guys. Needs weapons, right? Doesn't even go get Denzel Mims. The Jets, with Denzel Mims on the board, decided to trade back. So it makes me think that they were like, again, the reason why I think they ended up picking him is that the things Mims does well, the linear routes, 50-50 ball, speed, go deep, big physical guy, it was exactly what Adam Gase wanted. Like Adam Gase wanted the big physical beast that can high point the football and go get it and stretch the field, just run linear routes on the outside. That's what he wanted. It's why... You know, he he liked Robbie Anderson, but then let Robbie Anderson go and replace him with Prashad Perryman. He just wanted the linear players outside. So Denzel Mims, even if he wasn't, you know, the big great effort guy with the woody woody woodies and doo doo doos, like he he at least was could go deep in 50-50 balls. And you saw that a little bit his rookie year. When Gase is out and his offense is out, and now LaFleur comes in, LaFleur suddenly now is route technician yak guys like like you if your route's supposed to be run at eight and a half yards you run it eight and a half not seven not nine not eight you run it at eight and a half and denzel's clearly not doing that hasn't hasn't shown anything to be on the field and and to this point obviously now he's now he's not only has he not shown reasons to be on the field now he's giving you reasons to not be on the field like to take him off of it all right we should try to end this thing on a positive note should we talk about the kickers I mean, well, I, it's, this is tricky. Where do we go? The three for three kicking <laughs> Pinheiro. Is is this the guy, Connor? I, We're really I trying here, guys. Do you have something else positive to end things? I'm trying here? to convince my sister. Michael Carter's going to be back, both, right? Both of them, which was a funny tweet. And I, I, didn't, both Michael well, it tells, I didn't even think about it. Like, I didn't think, like, I tweeted, like, both Michael Carters are back. And I never thought of how weird that sounds. And then somebody, like, from uh, the ringer or something like that, quote, tweeted me. They're like, quote both Michael Carters like I guess that is odd that like there's two Michael Carters they were both hurt now the, the Michael Carters are back like it's like oh it's it's like it's weird they do everything together. yeah um but no I mean I the new Spider-Man comes out this week doesn't it the uh the the um No Way Home yes so I'm trying to convince my sister Madison um she's a big Marvel fan like I am so she's actually she went through she had an ex-boyfriend I tried to get, get her into it she never really got into it then she had an ex-boyfriend who they sat and they watched like the original they watched the stretch of them uh, the stretch of the Marvel movies from Iron Man one through before Infinity War and all that came out like before, but she watched them all and she was like, "Holy hell, these are great movies! Like these are really awesome." So her and I went to go see uh, Infinity War and then went to go see Endgame together, um, and it was awesome. Like because like Brie doesn't like that stuff at all, but Madison actually got into it. So I'm trying to convince her right now to show up. She's a nurse. She teaches special education in South Jersey. Um, I told her uh, to to just show up to work you know, a little, a little tired because we're going to go see it at midnight on Thursday or Friday. So I, I have the text message into her still trying to convince her to do it. Cause I want to get tickets and go see uh Spider-Man with her. Cause I, I'll be honest with you, man. I watched black widow. I watched uh far from home last night and, and I liked black widow a lot. I thought that far from home uh, was even better than I expect, like even better than I remembered. Like I saw it live and thought it was really good watching it back. It was even better. Like it was a really, really good movie. And it got me all hyped up for now. Like this next uh phase of marvel the only thing that i'm very much hoping and i don't i don't think it's the case i've I've read some like interviews from like tom holland and stuff like that where he's implied that okay i wanted to make sure this wasn't 945 um i i was uh i appreciate yeah i've realized i was like shit i don't want to like you know make you late um but i've read interviews with tom holland and what he's implied sort of is that like this is the end of the spider-man storyline that like they've now done their three standalone movies and this ends the like the the storyline for Tom Holland's Spider-Man ends it for um uh his two uh Mary Jane ends it for his friend who I'm um, um, the name's escaping me like this is like the cutoff like uh uh Ned is it Ned I think it's Ned uh this is like the end of their their arcs you know what I mean but like when I was watching it again especially watching Far From Home it's like no they're setting this one up for him to replace Iron Man like like now Spider-Man and Tom Holland's going to be now the next Iron Man of like the leader of the new generation of Avengers. He's going to be the center focal point, I would think, for like the next 10 years. So for him to drop like a couple of those lines, I don't know if it's just like, oh, we're taking like a year break or two. You know, we're going to this is going to be the movie. We're going to let the next the next uh, phase of the of the, the the movies come out and then we'll be back for the next Avengers. I don't know if that's what he meant. And then after the next Avengers, then they'll bring it back like they did Iron Man 3 and Iron Man 2 and things like that. Like, I don't know if that's the phase they're taking because I really hope 
I really hope that this isn't the last time we're going to see MJ, Nate, and Spider-Man all together. Ned. Ned or Nate. I forget. I don't know. Whatever the guy's name is. The the, the man in the chair. Um, I really hope that this isn't the last time that we're going to see those guys because they work so, so well together. And the storytelling is so well. And it's finally the Spider-Man, the perfect, in my opinion, the perfect Spider-Man that we've all craved for so long. It's here. And he's acting at perfect. Like, like Tom Holland, to me, is what Hugh Jackman was to Wolverine. Like, you now cannot separate them. Like, I don't know. You can't find another Spider-Man until Tom Holland's way too old to be Spider-Man. Like, because he is Spider-Man. Like, Hugh Jackman. Like, you need to take, like, a decade off of Wolverine because Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. I feel that way about, like, like uh, Tom Holland and Spider-Man. I just really hope, like, this isn't a pissing match between Sony and Marvel where it's like, oh, we're we're going to just, we're not going to do this right. Oh, no, it's it's we did the three. No, Marvel doesn't want him here. My, no, make sure that these movies keep coming out because not, well, I'll, I'll just say this out, like, considering what this movie is going to do in the box office, I find it very hard to believe like both Sony and Marvel and be like, okay, we'll, we'll find it. We'll, we'll make up our differences because it's a cash cow, but I hope it's not like this is the end. I hope they keep going it back with Leech. We'll at least a couple more standalones and Tom Holland and Spider-Man's involved in, in the Avengers moving forward significantly because you know, that's, that's it. Like that for me is it. I think he'll definitely be part of the Avengers because he, he really got shortchanged in the last big Avenger movies, right? He was just kind of like a, a bit character in those. Yeah, so you could tell like we'll they see. were working him in to then like he was you right. know, working him in. I mean, he wasn't involved at all in, in Endgame. But you could tell they were working him in to like assume that mantle for Iron Man. And then, like I said, I thought that was the plan. And then I just read some of these interviews from Holland. I was like, wait, what? Unless they go the route of like, he's just always in Avenger movies now and he's like always like the like when they did Captain America Civil War and Iron Man was in it or they did uh Spy- the first Spider-Man movie and Captain America or Iron Man was in it like something like that but I don't I, there's just there's too much talent with that cast there's too much talent with that character there's still too much still to tell with the Spider-Man story and people love Spider-Man so much that it's like just don't stop it please don't stop it don't take you took Iron Man from me and I, Tony Stark and Iron Man was my freaking favorite you took him from me don't take yep. Iron, uh, Spider-Man too this can't be the end this isn't the last one he's got to keep coming back in the end what it costs. money talks so we'll see where that goes alright that's going to do it for us you can save 33% off an annual subscription to The Athletic or to theathletic.com slash can't wait we will have a preview of the next week's of Sunday's game coming up on Friday I think Connor said we'll, we'll shoot for that Friday morning We'll talk to everybody then.